So, we're in the fourth week of our series called The Table of Undeserving Friends. Uh, since we want to be a community that welcomes other people as Christ has welcomed us, uh, we've been pulling up a chair at God's table, so to speak. We're trying to lock eyes with the mixtures of, of guests that have been invited into God's presence uh, throughout the ages. And, and we're trying to listen well to their unique stories, all in hopes of learning more about what it means um, to see Christ's graciousness and welcome on display, to learn more about who Jesus is and how we should welcome others in the same way. Because Jesus' grace and his hospitality is not limited by differences like uh, gender or socioeconomic status. He meets us amid our unique stories. And as we see how Jesus meets us and welcomes us, our hope is to learn and model that same graciousness and welcoming spirit to others. Uh, this week... We're stepping into a passage that is a bit different uh, than previous weeks. Uh, it involves a dinner party, a Pharisee named Simon, a woman of the city, and Jesus. And it's, it's, a, it's a scene of bold hospitality, and yet a hostile and in, inhospitable scene altogether. And in the night, a conflict erupts between Jesus and Simon, the host of the night. And this, is, this would have been awkward. You know, this would be embarrassing. You know, if, if we were at this party, we'd be backing away slowly, you know, finding our way to the door. And yet, Jesus heads straight on into the conflict, but not for conflict's sake. He does it for the sake of demonstrating to everyone there what lies behind true hospitality, what it truly means to welcome people into God's kingdom and into God's presence. And during this conflict, Jesus, he asks one of my favorite questions throughout all the scriptures, and it's a question that gets us to the heart of this passage. He looks at Simon the Pharisee and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? It's a rhetorical question. No, Simon doesn't see the woman. But to Jesus, she's a woman worth seeing. And so if we take the time to see her, you know, to overcome the gap between how Simon sees her and how Jesus sees her, we will see how Jesus' hospitality is just astonishing in this passage. And as we see this unnamed woman, uh, she'll challenge us with a question. She would say to us, I'll be dining at this table, but will you be willing to sit with me? And so this morning, we're going to spend most of our time simply trying to see this woman and what she shows us about Christ's hospitality. So open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to start in verses 36, and we'll just walk through this passage as we do. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. We need some context, you know, to, to make sense of the issues that are uh, behind the scene here. Uh, leading up to this passage, Jesus has been criticized over and over for who he eats with. Uh, he's been accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He's been accused of being a drunkard. And you have to understand that in the ancient world, dining with people involved far more than just the practicalities of putting on a meal. Uh, it wasn't as casual as, you know, walking across the street and grabbing a delicious burrito at Chipotle. Uh, it, sharing a meal um, involved way more intentionality. It was how social positions were established, how boundaries were enforced, and it was how people designated who is on the in and who is on the out. 
And on some level, we understand this. Uh, you know, we know how an uh, invite from, from us to someone can uh, establish a, friend, a friendship or cut off a friendship. Uh, you know, through meals, we can designate uh, boundaries like friends, acquaintances, families, strangers. And we often like to control who moves in and out of these categories. For example, if you have ever been in this scenario, tell me. You hear that a friend coming over to your place for a dinner party invited someone else. Let's call him Jerry. You say, Jerry, you invited Jerry? Like, ah, oh. you know, I was kind of hoping this would be our thing with like our, our clothes crew. And, you know, Jerry, he's a nice guy, but he's just more of an acquaintance. He doesn't really roll with us. Like, why did you invite Jerry? You know, these sort of issues were only intensified in the ancient world. The table was how they established who was in and who was out, who was elite, who was poor, who was holy, who was a sinner. And the religious elite, they did not dine with sinners. And, and sinners was a wide range of people in the ancient world. You have to understand, when we hear sinners, we automatically think of people who sin. But in the ancient world, sinners was a category of people, which could include people who sin. But it could also just be people with incurable diseases. Or people who looked a little different than normal. Or people who simply failed to live up to the laws placed on top of the laws that the Pharisees endorsed. This was a broad category, and the Pharisees knew who was in and who was out. And so by closing the circle of who they would dine with, the Pharisees enforced their own status as the religious elite within society, and they enforced the status of sinners within society. So the Pharisees' table, we want to understand, is all about who is in and who is out in God's kingdom. And this matters because Jesus, a rabbi, a religious elite, a teacher, he's eating with all the wrong people. He's dining with tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders of his time, they can't stand this about him. But here, what's remarkable is in this passage, Jesus even accepts an invitation to dine with the Pharisees. We see that Jesus is willing to dine with all people. He's willing to walk into all circumstances. And he doesn't practice exclusion at his table based off of a status or a position or lack thereof. It's remarkable. And so Jesus, he heads to Simon's house and he reclines at Simon's table. And these sort of meals where a guest rabbi is visiting uh, would often be open to the public. It was sort of a public affair. Uh, the invited guests would recline at the table and they'd be ordered by rank. Uh, Jesus addresses this elsewhere in the Gospels. And then the servants would be behind them serving. And then the door would remain open. And passerbyers in the city could watch from the door or watch from behind the servants and, and kind of listen in on the latest talk about God and life and politics or whatever was discussed about then. Uh, short shorts, who knows. Um, but... What isn't said about this scene? What isn't said about this scene is very important. Every culture has a ritual for inviting guests. You know, if I had Tad over to my place, uh, he, I'd open the door, and Tad, you know, if you guys don't know Tad, he'd be like, hey, Alistair. You know, like Tad is very lively. And, and, and to invite him in so he knows he's welcome, I'd be like, Greetings, Tad. You know, come in. Can I take your coat? Can I get you something to drink? Why don't you grab a seat? Uh, maybe you could take your shoes off, you filthy American. But, you know, <laughs> this is what being welcomed would look like. We all know that we have cultural ways of which we use so that people know they're welcomed into our home. And then there's things that we do to reciprocate being welcomed. When I was younger, I had a friend named Scott. And, uh, Scott's a great guy, and, and he invited me over for dinner with his family. And, you know, it's always a little bit of an intimidating experience when you go over to uh, someone's parents' house for the first time and you have to eat a meal with them. And his parents are awesome, you know, like just awesome. And, 
And uh, his, his mom asked me, Alistair, can I get you a cup of water? And I said, no, I'm okay, thank you. And then she asked me a second time, Alistair, can I get you a cup of water? I said, no, I'm okay, thank you. And it got a little weird because she asked me a third time, Alistair, can I get you a cup of water? And I said, no, I'm okay, thank you. Um, years later, I'm talking like five or six years later, I had countless meals with Scott and his family. And eventually one night his mom sits me down and says, do you remember the first time you came over to my house uh, for a meal? And I said, not really, I just remember you offered me a lot of water. And she said, um, not exactly, I thought you were such a little punk. Three times I asked you, Alistair, can you help set the table? And you said, no, I'm okay, thank you. <laughs> Scott, she was insulted, right, by what didn't happen because I didn't reciprocate the hospitality. I threw it back in her face in a way. I didn't reciprocate in a culturally accepted way by participating in the practices of the meal. Jesus, he walks into Simon's house. But we have to take note of what doesn't happen. There's no mention of Jesus being welcomed. In their day and time, servants would take off your sandals and wash your feet. The host would greet you with a kiss. And as Jesus will go on to say in this passage, none of these things happened. But Simon, it's not that he's just being thoughtless. Uh, you don't just forget these sort of things. Unlike my faux pas, Simon's actions are calculated. His failure to extend the usual courtesies to Jesus is nothing short of an insult. Essentially, he's telling everyone at the dinner party that Jesus is a lesser-ranked person in society. He's publicly shaming Jesus. He's not a teacher worth listening to. Simon may have welcomed Jesus into his own, but only to put Jesus in his place. If Jesus is going to dine with sinners and tax collectors, then he's going to be treated like one at Simon's table. Now, if we're intentionally insulted by someone, you know, there's a lot of ways I can imagine, like a Christian, to respond, bless you, bless you for insulting me. Uh, like Scott's mom, you know, I, can you set the table? No, I'm okay, thank you, right? Like she could have just kicked me out the door, right? Shamed me on the way out. And, and a lot of us, if, if we walked into a home and, and, and we were just insulted flat out, a lot of us, we would fly off the handle, turn around, leave. What's remarkable is Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't storm out in anger. He doesn't return insult to Simon. There's no finger wagging. He humbly takes his place at the table. Unwelcomed, unwashed, insulted, Jesus reclines. And he remains hospitable even in a hostile, inhospitable environment. And that's because Jesus doesn't extend his welcome or reciprocate hospitality simply because the setting is good or because the person is kind and welcoming toward him. He will receive an insult, he'll take on shame, and yet offer his presence to the one insulting him and shaming him. Because that's who Jesus is. And Luke tells us that one of the people watching all of this go down, one of the bystanders behind the servants, uh, is a woman of the city. And we don't get her name, I wish we did. Uh, but we don't, we do get her profession. She was a woman of the city, which is a polite way of saying she was a prostitute. And Luke adds, a sinner. And she heard that Jesus is dining at Simon's, and so she comes with an alabaster flask of ointment. And scholars across the board agree that it's most likely that uh, at some other time or earlier in the day, this woman had heard Jesus preaching about the kingdom of God. She had heard Jesus proclaiming radical love and grace and forgiveness for sinners and anyone who repents and believes in the kingdom. And she's heard this, and she wants to thank Jesus. And so she brings her most expensive 
perfume, her, her prized possession, and with hopes to possibly anoint Jesus at some point in the night. But she gets to Simon, and she just witnesses Jesus being utterly ridiculed and humiliated. She sees Jesus being treated the way she should be treated. She sees him being treated that way because he has dined with people like her. And so seeing all of this, Jesus unwelcomed, unwashed, insulted, she responds, and we read in verse 38, standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She's weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kiss his feet and anoint them with the ointment. This is scandalous. Imagine you're having a, a dinner party and a prostitute, a lady of the night, comes into your home, climbs under the table at your guest's feet, it would be scandalous. I mean, there, you would only be able to interpret that in one way. This is erotic. It would be uncomfortable, wildly uncomfortable. What is she doing? You know, it's helpful to know. In the ancient world, tables were very different than our tables today. So they were long and low, and the guests reclined on their left elbows with their feet away from the table. Very chill way to eat. Uh, and so the feet would just be way more readily accessible than today's tables. Nonetheless... This is still, still scandalous. The guests, the servants, the people watching, especially Simon, he would have thought this was wildly inappropriate and erotic. This is uncomfortable. This is an emotional display of affection. She's weeping. She's kissing his feet. She's anointing them with expensive oil, which another disciple elsewhere will say that's a waste. But shockingly, the most shocking part is this. She lets her hair down. She lets her hair down. If the text said to us, she took her shirt off and was topless, we would understand the sort of offense and shock this would cause in the ancient world. Let me give you an example. The Mishnah, an ancient Jewish document, uh, lists offenses that justify a man divorcing his wife without giving her any financial compensation. And here's just a couple. If she goes out with her hair unbound, or spins in the street, or speaks with any man, Women, take this to heart. Do not spin in the street if you're a member of St. Peter's Fireside. Now, we don't agree with these rules, but in the ancient Jewish context, a woman's hair was sexually provocative. That's why we get things in Song of Solomon. like, Baby, your hair is like that of a goat. Uh, you know, you can, you can bring that back, gentlemen. But this is why women's hair was to remain up and covered in public. Uh, it was offensive if it was down because it should only be let down in private for her husband. She this woman, she uncovers her hair. She lets it down upon Jesus' feet, and this is an ordeal. And so we read in verse 39, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. What happens only solidifies Simon's already skewed perspective of Jesus. Jesus can't be a prophet. A prophet wouldn't allow this. A prophet wouldn't associate with a woman like this. He wouldn't let her touch him because then he would become unclean. Jesus, he can't be a prophet. He's a sinner like the rest of them. 
But this reveals a lot about Simon, and it especially reveals a lot about how Simon thinks God operates in the world. Remember, Simon is a Pharisee. He believed that God only takes interest in those who blamelessly keep the law. They earn God's approval by having all their T's crossed and their I's dotted. And even more than that, if the law said, for example, like, don't stand at the edge of a cliff. The Pharisees would add their own law that would say, don't stand within a meter of the edge of the cliff. They would have laws to protect them from breaking the laws, which is why Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels, in vain do the Pharisees worship God, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. So for Simon, there are people who are in and people who are out, people who follow the Pharisees' instructions and people who don't. And we see that Simon thinks he has the corner edge on this market. Only the people who act accordingly, keep the rules on top of the rules, who are in his party, they're the people who are in with God. And as a result, this affects who Simon will welcome and who Simon will not welcome. He won't truly welcome Jesus, let alone welcome this prostitute, because in his mind, they're not welcomed by God. They don't have enough clout. At least this is what Simon thinks, and a true prophet would follow his way of seeing the world. This passage reveals a lot about Simon. One New Testament scholar, James Rasugri, I don't know how to say his last name, but uh, he, he sums Simon up this way, and I just love this, I love this. Simon the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee illustrates the consequences of social and spiritual constipation. His preference for human boundaries restrict his view of the way God works in the world. What a critique. Simon, he's missing it. He's spiritually backed up. Uh, His sight is truncated. He doesn't see correctly at all. And Jesus is not content to leave Simon in this place. Just as Jesus has welcomed this unnamed woman into God's presence, he also desires to welcome Simon too. And so Jesus speaks up. Uh, Look at verses 40 through 43. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. This is the ancient Near Eastern way of saying, what I'm about to say you're really not going to like, but I'm going to say it anyways. And Simon answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. First off, this is Jesus' most straightforward parable in all the scriptures. We can get this one. And it deconstructs everything Simon believes about God. Jesus essentially says, Simon, Simon, moneylenders, two debtors, huge debts, one big, one small, but debts nonetheless. What would they do? In that cultural time and place, they would track those people down and show no mercy, and there was a debtor's prison that they would be put in until their family could pay the debt. They didn't show mercy. That was how they operate. That's how they still operate today. These, you know, money lenders on the street offering, you know, payday loans at a thousand percent interest. You know, someone should do something about that. Shut it down. Simon, a money lender, forgives two debts. This is out of the ordinary. Simon would say, "This is not how a money lender acts. 
And Jesus looks at Simon and he says, exactly. You think God acts a certain way. You think that the only way into God's approval is through earning and keeping the law and, and abiding by all the rules and having some perfect resume that you can present before him. But that is not how God operates. You've missed it. You can't earn God's affection. You can't deserve his presence. Everyone is in debt to God, whether in big ways or small ways. God doesn't operate the way you think. He operates on the basis of forgiveness. A forgiveness that isn't deserved, but freely offered. Love in this parable, love in this parable, is a response to unmerited forgiveness. A response to pure, unrestrained grace. And I I just love what Jesus goes on to do after this parable. Verses 44 through 48. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon. So he's looking at the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. When Simon sees this woman, he sees her actions as erotic and out of place. Uh, They're what you would expect of her reputation as a prostitute. She's a sinner. She's not welcomed by God. But Simon hasn't seen what happened. He doesn't see at all. He doesn't see rightly, but Jesus Jesus sees. Jesus turns towards towards this woman, and he sees her. He truly sees her. A woman taking great risk to show great affection. A woman stepping outside of her place to make sure that Jesus is put in the place of honor. A woman weeping in gratitude and love. Not simply a sinner, but a woman to be seen, admired, and used as an example of hospitality and what it means to be welcomed into God's kingdom. Simon showed no hospitality. No welcome to Jesus because Simon doesn't actually understand how God works. But this woman, she understands. God operates fundamentally from a place of forgiveness. We can't earn our way into God's presence because we have debts both big and small. And let's be honest, most of us in this room, our debts are getting pretty big that need to be forgiven. And because this woman has been forgiven much, she loves much. Her wild actions are just an expression of the forgiveness she knows she's received. Because she's been forgiven much, Jesus says she loves much. And so she lets her hair down, but it's not inappropriate. She's declaring her loyalty, her utter loyalty to follow Jesus. Her commitment to him as her her Savior and Lord. She's expressing her faith that Jesus really can forgive her sins on behalf of God. She's no longer living as a prostitute, but as a child of God. And so Jesus declares to her and to everybody that's listening, your sins are forgiven. But the perfect tense is lost. It's it's better translated, your sins have been forgiven. Her act of love is not what warranted the forgiveness. 
The act of love is an expression of the forgiveness she's already received. And this flies in the face of our culture. I think every one of us on some level think, I'm a loving and good person. And based off of that, God will forgive me. When I get to heaven, if there's a God, he's going to look at my track record, he's going to see that I had pretty good motivations most of the time, and that I will be rewarded with forgiveness because I was a loving and good person. It's backwards. It's backwards. We get it completely backwards. As I've been saying, everything this woman is doing is an expression of the forgiveness that she's already received. And in turn, Jesus, he says to Simon, your hostility towards me and this woman is a sign that you're actually outside of the kingdom of God. So if you keep living in such a way where you think you know who's in and out, if you keep living in such a way that it's all about keeping the rules to earn God's favor, or all about being a loving and a good person to earn God's favor, you're actually on the outside where this woman that you think could never be on the inside is in. You love little because you've been forgiven little. You don't realize your need before God. And so Jesus, he's challenging Simon. Simon isn't the true host of God's table. Jesus is. Simon doesn't get to determine who is in and out at God's table. Only Jesus gets to decide who is in and out. And Jesus is extending that invitation to Simon to see rightly, to see this woman. And Jesus, he's inviting Simon to see himself rightly, to see his need for forgiveness from God, the vast need that Simon does not see. Because Simon's sins, they're far more than just being a bad host. His actions indicate deep levels of pride, arrogance, hard-heartedness, hostility, a judgmental spirit, rejection of people, legalism, you know, sexism, complete misunderstanding of God's forgiveness. And if he could see this, if he could see himself rightly and see what his debt before God actually uh, entails, he would also see how great the forgiveness is that's being offered to him. He would love greatly like this woman. Love about this story. So, what does this unnamed woman teach us about Jesus and hospitality? I think we can get to that by allowing her to ask us a question. I'll be dining at this table, but you be willing to sit at it with me. If we're more like Simon, if we can't welcome people who are too far gone or different or not like us, It's a forgiveness issue. A lack of welcoming people into our lives is usually because a lack of forgiveness. A lack of understanding that we both need forgiveness before God, mutually. A lack of love is a lack of forgiveness. And if we can't welcome people into our lives because all we see is their flaws, their brokenness, and the reasons why God shouldn't welcome them, we're just as spiritually constipated as Simon. The only way we can dine with this woman at Jesus' table is if we recognize that whether small or big, our sins need to be forgiven by God. Because regardless of the size of our sins and our debts before God, they are sins and debts that we simply cannot repay. We do not have enough resources to undo everything we have done. We need to be excused. We need to be forgiven. And whether it's 
our pseudo-religious piety that's made us callous and judgmental towards others and gives us this holier-than-thou idea that we get everything, we're in with God and everyone else is out, or whether it's our rampant freedom that we use to justify doing everything and anything we want, regardless of the consequences and the people we hurt or what God may have to say about it, or whether it's the pride that just blinds us to our own shortcomings and faults. We equally need forgiveness. And if we place our faith and our trust in Jesus, that he really can forgive us, then we can gladly dine with anyone else at God's table. Because no one is welcomed by God because they deserve it. The table is always a table of undeserving friends. When we're welcome to Christ's table, he sees us. That's the beautiful part of this passage. Jesus sees us. He sees the Pharisee through and through. He sees this woman of the city through and through. He sees the guests. He sees the parts of our souls that we wish no one could see. And he even sees the parts of our souls that we're too stubbornly blind to see. And if we would see them, we would be appalled. He sees us through and through, and he forgives us. Why? Because he loves us first. How can he do that? That's what they ask in verse 49. Who is this that forgives sins? How can he do this? He can forgive sins because he's God in the flesh. He can forgive sins because on the cross, Jesus demonstrated how far he's willing to go to forgive. In the most inhospitable environment imaginable, hostile, mocked, scourged, spit upon, humiliated, ridiculed, abandoned, betrayed, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in order to make that forgiveness available to all of us, Jesus says, put their debts upon me, Lord. And so he was unwelcomed from God's presence. The greatest sinner that ever walked the face of the earth was Christ crucified. He was unwelcomed from God's presence so that we might pull up a chair at God's table. That's why Jesus can forgive us. That's why he can say to this woman in verse 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Has your faith saved you? Do you know the peace of God? Are you carrying debts that Occupy your mind all the time, wondering if God could ever possibly love you or accept you or forgive you, whether other people might ever offer forgiveness for the things you've done to them. Do you have a saving faith knowing that Jesus sees you through and through and forgives you? There's one last question I want to ask. I think this this woman has a lot to teach us about how we're supposed to respond to people who do not welcome Jesus. Because she risks it boldly to honor Jesus in the most unwelcoming environment. And we know what it's like to see Jesus unwelcomed. We know what it's like to witness people shame him or mock him or ridicule belief and tell us that it's all fairy tales. We know what it's like to sit with those who don't welcome Jesus into their lives and in conversation. And, And how does this woman respond? How does she respond to the hostility and people saying, this guy isn't really who he said he is. You guys are wasting your time. How does she respond? She beautifies Jesus. 
She makes him beautiful with her repentance and love. She exalts in his his forgiveness and grace. She gives her all to him. She commits her life to him. She doesn't keep it private. She doesn't stand back. This is a deeply public display of affection in an uncomfortable but totally necessary way. Our faith is personal, but it is never private. We overcome in hospitality towards Christ by loving him because he's forgiven us. And doing so in public ways. We don't allow our culture to push our faith into the private realms of our life. Because the love that we have for Christ is correlated to the depths that we understand we've been forgiven. And when we understand how we've been forgiven, we will love Christ greatly. And that will lead us to do sacrificial things and things that don't make sense. But it will be because we want to see Christ honored and lifted up and made beautiful, even in environments where people are mocking him and shaming him and ridiculing him. Why? Because he's the great forgiver. That's why. And when his forgiveness grips us, erases all our debts, all our sins with God, we will love him greatly. And only then, only then will we begin to extend forgiveness and love to debts, both great and small, no matter who else ends up gathered at God's table.